Hi, everyone. I'm Laura Paskus, executive producer for the show Our Land, New Mexico's environmental past, present, and future on New Mexico PBS. It is August 2nd, and you are listening to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. At the end of July, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin finally stopped holding up a climate, energy, and tax package. The Inflation Reduction Act was finally starting to move in the U.S. Senate. Now, this is a huge bill with all kinds of provisions related to climate change. And many people, and not everyone, say that if it passed, it could transform America's policy on climate change and energy. So as luck would have it, we already had New Mexico Senator Martin Heinrich coming into the studio to talk about climate change and climate legislation. In the conversation you're about to hear, we talk about the Inflation Reduction Act. We also talk about some other legislation, one bill related to wildlife and another that would designate a stretch of the Gila River in New Mexico as wild and scenic. The Senator and I also talk about Holtec International's plans to bring commercial nuclear waste to New Mexico, and we chat about gun reform. We also talk a little bit about January 6th. Those hearings, of course, are still ongoing, but we also talk about what it was like to live through that day at the U.S. Capitol and to wonder what's happening to our country, what could happen to our democracy. Here's that conversation from last Friday, July 29th. Welcome, Senator Heinrich. Thanks for coming into the studio. Always great to be here. Thanks. So we're talking at the end of July. The big news this week was West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin finally stopped holding up an energy climate tax bill the um, Inflation Reduction Act. If passed, what are some of the critical climate provisions in that bill? Well, if we can get this across the finish line, and we're not there yet, um, but it would be far and away the biggest thing ever done on climate. Um, There are an enormous suite of tax incentives and other programs that could reduce the U.S.'s um, pollution output in terms of carbon dioxide by as much as 40% between now and 2030. We've just never moved the needle that much. And so there's there's tax credits for wind and solar. There's a whole suite of policies designed at bringing uh, manufacturing for all those clean technologies, batteries, wind, solar, storage, back to the US. Um, There are rebates to help individual families with their um, Uh, the cost of their energy burden and really getting them the the best, most efficient technologies now at the same price as old-fashioned technology. And so then they can save on their their bills month after month after month. So there's an enormous amount in this bill. Obviously, it's the result of, you know, a year's worth of negotiating and compromise, but a giant step forward for the climate. It's been interesting to watch this debate going on, and I know that Senator Schumer um, was negotiating. Do you have any sense of what finally swayed the West Virginia senator to supporting this? You know, I I think there was a moment there when things really seemed to come apart. Um, And I'm not sure that the senator from West Virginia was quite ready for the the scale of the backlash at that moment. Um, and, And that's 
that's on policy grounds, but it's also just on the grounds that we were all trying to engage in this in good faith for well over a year. And if you're not going to actually make a decision at the end of the day, then that that's a very bad place to be. And I think he realized that we were close enough that we could get there and make it make it work for you know all 50 senators involved. So this is a huge bill with really tons is. and tons of provisions. But one thing, just like this little thing stuck out to me, that if it's passed, it would raise minimum bids for oil and gas leases from $2 to $10 an acre, and land rental fees from $150 to $3 an acre, and eventually up to $15 an acre. Why does the United States devalue land for extractive industry in this way? You know, I think there's just an enormous, um, there's an enormous inertia and and this represents actually a step towards actual market-based approaches to these things as we recognize that they're not going to be around they can't be around forever and we have to make this transition but that doesn't take away from the fact that you have a hundred years of economic and cultural inertia and I see this at almost every economic fight in Washington DC is one between incumbents and innovators, and it's no different in the energy space. Interesting. So what other environmental legislation is maybe moving through Congress right now that you think New Mexicans might be particularly interested in? Well, one of the things that I've been building bipartisan support for quite some time now is called the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. And uh, if you followed the Great American Outdoors Act a few years ago, this is kind of like Great American Outdoors, but focused on wildlife as opposed to land. Um, it would give a sustainable uh, income source for tribal wildlife uh, agencies as well as state-based wildlife agencies to intervene and help wildlife before they're in the crisis mode. So we have a biodiversity crisis in this country. We have lots of species that many of us grew up with that we just don't see very often anymore. And instead of waiting until something like the lesser prairie chicken is listed on the Endangered Species Act, this gives the tools to be able to recover those populations to robust levels when it's still primary care instead of emergency room, uh, last minute, very expensive intervention. Right, like scooping silvery minnows out of yeah. puddles. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I know our viewers are interested in the Gila River. What's happening with the wild and scenic? We're making progress on wild and scenic. We've had uh, some fairly good breakthroughs and negotiations with uh, Freeport McMoran lately. Uh, we were able to move that legislation out of the ENR committee recently. So it really does seem to be building. And um, there, there is still a gap between what some people believe that does and what it actually does. Mm -hmm. But I think we have entered into a lot of conversations in good faith. Some of the progress we've made lately around uh, mining in particular uh, shows that this is about protecting those river segments. Fundamentally, um, this is the last headwaters, undammed Colorado River uh, watershed. And it is such a dynamic place when you see I mean, it, it, it runs from 30 CFS to 20,000 CFS and everywhere in between. And that has actually kept those river segments in really good condition. Uh, you don't see the tamarisk and the invasives that, that you see in other places. And you see wildlife that 
you know, has blinked out in so many other locations. And people are really passionate about that river who have a familial connection to it. So I, I really believe we're going to get there on Gila Wild and Scenic. Uh, we continue to make progress. We get a little bit closer uh, every year, and we're going to get that across the finish line. I love watching that gauge, especially in the summertime. That Gila gauge can go from 20 CFS to 300 in a day. It's oh, easily. Cool. Yep. <laughs> um, so I wanted to jump down to southeastern New Mexico. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission recently announced that it's planning to um, recommend approval of Holtec's license. Yeah. So what's your take on what's happening there? I, I think there are a number of fundamental problems with this. Uh, one is that there's a lot of um, lip service give, given to state and local control, but the reality is that this is not that that New Mexico as a whole has never had has never been sold on on this kind of storage um, and one of the fundamental reasons in my view is that there is no plan for long-term storage so you can't have temporary storage if you can't even tell me where the long-term storage is going to be and so what should be a matter of decades of temporary storage is, you know, in my view, is going to clearly turn into basically permanent storage yeah. in a in a short-term format, and I, that is not what uh, I think any community, even even those that are supportive of it, um, you have to have an honest conversation about what is the long-term solution here going to be, and make decisions based on some certainty as to what short-term and long-term look like. Yeah, this, you know, as a New Mexican watching this play out, you know, the congressional delegation has been against it. The governor is against it. The State Land Commission, you know, huge numbers of people, and yet a private company can still move forward with yeah. a federal approval. You know, what would it take for, for New Mexico to be able to stop these sorts of projects? I mean, I think there are some options available to the state and the governor. Uh, there are... Uh, legislative options that I am definitely going to exercise. Um, but it is problematic and part of the, the business plan part of this that, that really rubs me the wrong way is that uh, they're effectively taking money from the judgment fund as a business model mm -hmm. and using us as the, the um, you know, as the, the location for this sort of arbitrage, and I don't think that was ever the intention uh, for how we should be dealing with uh, temporary storage. Yeah. Um, so switching to gun reform, in June, Congress did pass a compromise bill on gun reform. Yeah. What is that law actually going to do? Well, first, I, I think it's worth saying that this is the most progress we've made on gun safety in three decades. And having been um, there for so many battles that went nowhere, mm -hmm. uh, I am really encouraged by this because I saw and participated with people in the same room who wanted to do something that would actually save lives. Mm -hmm. And I saw members who in the past really didn't have a lot of interest in engaging in these conversations take some very brave votes and stand up to their own constituents in ways that were very uncomfortable. So I want to give credit that this, this, this is a big deal. It's, one, it's the biggest investment in mental health in, um, 
modern history. Uh, two, on the law enforcement side, it does a lot of things that are really important that will save lives. Um, straw purchases is a place where I really engaged in the ne negotiations. Mm -hmm. I worked with Senator Susan Collins to figure out how we fix the problem where someone, uh, someone who is prohibited from owning a gun because they've committed a felony or a violent crime, uh, they get someone else to buy that gun for them. Mm -hmm. And we can't effectively prosecute that transfer. Uh, that is a giant problem and we've fixed it in this legislation. In addition, we always thought as a country that gun trafficking, that that was a problem and always gonna be a problem of guns coming into the United States illegally. Well, as we all know in the last decade, the problem has been guns purchased in the United States, traveling to Mexico and countries further south, and then being used by cartels and criminals to commit crimes. Mm -hmm. And we were able to, to really fix that once and for all. The exports are now gonna be uh, caught up in the law around gun trafficking as well. And the, the uh, one more thing I would mention that is, is really critical is that historically the whole uh, database for when you go and do a background check and you purchase a firearm, if you're a domestic abuser and you're married to your partner, you're in that database and you're not gonna get that gun. But for years, there's been a work, uh, uh, basically a loophole where if you're not married, but you're also convicted of abuse, you were still able to buy a firearm. And we have finally plugged that loophole. And I've gotta believe that, that that will literally save from everything we know about the propensity of domestic abuse leading to um, leading to fatalities, that will save thousands of lives. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of guns, um, I kind of wanted to move toward January 6th mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, you lived through that historic insurrection. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, your thoughts looking back and with the hearings going on right now, you know, how do we as a nation heal from something like that? I think what's happening right now in terms of even much more so than um, the, the impeachment trial, the, the hearings that are happening right now have really forced people to uh, take some responsibility for things that government officials did in those days running up to January 6th. There's a lot more transparency around this now than there was. Um, I think that's an important part of how we come to grips with how this happened and how we try to answer the, the question of how we prevent it from happening in the future. Uh, I never in a million years thought I would see the things that I saw on January 6th. Um, it, it is something I still, uh, you know, still think about every day. And, you know, I knew, uh, you know, there are Capitol Police that I used to say hi to every other day aren't with us. So I hope this is a moment where we, we realize that democracy is not something that just continues with the inertia of time, but we have to invest in it and we have to reinvest in it. And I think we all took that democratic process 
uh, for granted for too long until it was tested. And uh, boy, it, it, it nearly broke, but it didn't. And now we're going to have to hold on to this and try to move forward in a way that we make sure that the next time around that elections are decided by voters. Yeah, I can't believe we are talking about these sorts of things in the United States now, but I mean, politics really feels to me as something that's become this like crazy, like spectator sport. And yeah. on the outside of it, like I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired of watching it. And yeah. I'm just curious if, if bipartisanship is something of the past, or if we can, if we can come together as a nation. I, I think to some degree it, it's up to, it will be decided by voters who have to make a decision as to whether they're just, you know, which cultural team they're on is more important or whether they want governance and the stability of democracy and the, the reality that we move forward through a process of compromise. Um, we have a pretty good thing going in this country. I mean, we have, with all of our warts and all the challenges uh, that we have had historically, um, we've had a very stable country that was always at the front edge, if you look around the globe, of, of extending rights and taking better care of people. And we've had this moment where that, that calls all of that into question, and I hope that it'll make all of us realize just how good we have it and how it's completely worth reinvesting in this process uh, to make sure that, that we're passing on better opportunities to the next generation. Yeah, thank you, Senator, I appreciate it. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Laura Paskus. Find more environmental content on New Mexico in Focus as part of our show, Our Land, New Mexico's Environmental Past, Present, and Future. You can find Our Land all over the place on the PBS video app, Instagram, YouTube, and subscribe to Our Land Weekly. Thanks. Bye.